This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Hello. Welcome to Celebration Church Wednesday night, first Wednesday service. Uh, first Wednesday of every month we gather together. Extended time of worshiping and praising God and then uh, reading and studying about the scriptures. Uh, we've been doing a series, uh, going to wrap it up pretty soon. It's just basically about the Bible. How did we, uh, how does it lay out? Where did the books come from? Who wrote them? Why are these books versus other books? Uh, so we've kind of gone through all of that. Uh, tonight, I want to, and by the way, let me just say a thank you to uh, some of you who have been Christians for a long time. This is really Bible 101 to a lot of people. And uh, you have to understand, the challenge with a congregation like ours is uh, it's made up of very mature believers who've been doing this for 20, 30 years, 40 years plus, and then some that they're just into this for the first few years. So that's always the challenge of trying to relate and meet everybody's need. So even if I go over stuff you already know, it's good to be reminded. Peter actually wrote that. It says, you know, I know you know this, but it's good to be reminded about different things, all right? So now tonight what I want to do is I want to talk about, uh, and by the way, welcome to our uh, uh, Fox Valley campus as well. Thanks for joining with us um, and people online. I want to look at some of the uh, key words and phrases, places and events uh, from the Old Testament. These are things that are repeated over and over and over again in the Bible. And if you don't know what they're talking about, it gets kind of confusing. It just be, seems like a bunch of words. And let me try and see if we can uh, set uh, some of this in stone for you so, so you start to understand it. One of the earliest phrases that you'll find throughout the Bible, and it's repeated uh, over and over again, is this phrase simply about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all right? And you would see prayers in the Old Testament. They'd be in trouble. They'd pray, oh God, father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this, this phrase is over and over again. The question is, of course, if you're not familiar with the Bible, who are they? <laughs> who is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? We're going to take a look at that. Now, Abraham, we see this in the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis is about the beginnings. Where did things come from? We got the creation event, you know, the, the flood, all these different things. But then it comes to a guy by the name of Abraham. At, at the time, he's called Abram. Who is this guy? So uh, the Bible doesn't really say much about him. It doesn't even say why God picked him. But what God is trying to do is set out to answer and fulfill the promise that he made in the beginning to, uh, to uh, Adam and Eve, that someday the head of the serpent would be crushed and, uh, you know, the promise of the Messiah, all this kind of stuff. So now God is trying to find someone who can become established a nation that eventually the Messiah will come through and fulfill all of these promises. So we get, God appears, or, well, we don't know if he appears or if he just hears him. I don't know exactly what's going on. Uh, and he starts speaking to Abram. And uh, Abraham, eventually his name changes to Abraham, means the father of a multitude although he didn't have much of a multitude <laughs> during his lifetime. Uh, he had two sons. One he kind of got ahead of, and it wasn't really the one son he was supposed to be having. 
Uh, this is what God promised him, that he was going to give him a son, and Sarah was going to have a son. And eventually they got so old, Sarah says, I don't know, take my maid, have a son with her, because, you know, apparently, you know, things are shutting down, the circus is closed and moved on, and uh, it says, you know, there's no way for me to get pregnant. So he does this, and, uh, and his name is Ishmael, and God says, no, 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 I said it would be with Sarah. And for them to believe this is really difficult, as you can well imagine, the older she gets. By the time, I don't know, is he 100 years old and she's 90 or something, finally she becomes pregnant. Whoa, that's an eye-opener, right? That doesn't always happen. So this father of the multitude becomes the father of Isaac. Uh, Isaac then becomes the father of Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are what are referred to as the patriarchs of the Bible the patriarchs of the faith, patriarchs particularly of the Jewish faith, but even us uh, Gentiles who've been grafted in, the Bible says, uh, they become the patriarchs to us. Now, what's interesting about this is these guys don't really know much about God at all. All they know is this God keeps showing up and speaking to them and directing them, and they don't really know much about it. They don't even have the Ten Commandments at this point. They have nothing. They don't know jack about what is going on, except that this God, this almighty God, is directing and leading them and making promises to them uh, about establishing this great nation. Well, Abraham prospers, Isaac prospers, Jacob prospers. These guys are the father of the, the nation, much like we have our patriarchs of our nation. Uh, you know, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, you know, all that kind of stuff. So these are the three major characters that from them come the Jewish nation. Now, Abraham, or Abram, whatever you want to call him, uh, Abram in the beginning, is, uh, uh, is uh, called a Hebrew. We don't know why he's called a Hebrew. <laughs> it's interesting. Every once in a while, I'll look one of these things and say, huh, why is that? And then I'll Google it, and they say, oh, we don't know. So apparently, nobody knows where the name comes from, but they're called Hebrews. Uh, the language of the Hebrews is still spoken today, and it is called Hebrew. Uh, uh, little Jewish kids go to Hebrew school so they can learn the language. So the Old Testament is all written in Hebrew. The New Testament is in Greek. But the Old Testament is all Hebrew, very traditional language. Now, I was in Israel three years ago. And uh, they were taking us around and showing all these artifacts and stuff and, you know, some, you know, a piece of pottery or a tablet or something that is thousands of years old. And while he's talking to us, he says, you know, the amazing thing about Hebrew is they have been really strict on maintaining the language. So much so, he says, that any of our children who are in Hebrew school, once they start to read and understand, can look at some of these ancient tablets and read them. It's really stunning. Uh, stop and think, even in English. I don't know if you've ever read Old English from the 1500s, 1600s. It's hard to even understand. They got the words all blurred together. They pronounce it differently and stuff like that. And uh, it's not until I get to the 1800s even then, getting around all of these and thous and stuff. So for a language to maintain uh, its understandability over thousands of years, we couldn't pull it off for a few hundred. You know, and the language keeps changing. I don't think they would understand a word we're saying today. Even from Shakespeare's day, you know, they're like, what, what? Uh, well, actually, just read Shakespeare, see if you can understand it. <laughs> what? 
You know, it gets very, very complicated the way they phrase things. It's actually, English is a beautiful language originally spoken. Now it's almost a junk language because if you don't have an emoji, nobody knows what you're even talking about. You know, we, we, we have failed uh, to keep the beauty of the language. Uh, but anyway, these, so the Hebrews, and they're still called, the language is still called Hebrew. Now, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, God changes his name, changes, changes his name. Front with the English language, changes his name to Israel. All right. Then from here on out, they're called the Israelites. Then eventually, their name changes to being referred to as the Jews. Why is that? I'm going to get to that. All right. So we have uh, the Hebrews who become the Israelites, who eventually become the Jews. Today, it's really an interesting thing because. The nation of Israel is called Israel. They speak Hebrew, and they're called the Jews. And uh, all three are in play today. But this is how all this stuff starts coming about. So now Israel uh, uh, has for himself 12 sons who eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. So you'll hear about the tribes of Israel. This can really get confusing as you're reading through the Bible. Don't, don't let it freak you out. They're just talking about all the different tribes. And, and you read some of the prophets, and they're addressing the tribe of Asher and Dan and, you know, you know whatever. Uh, they're jumping all over the place. So he has these 12 sons. They become all of this. Now, we know that all of a sudden we run into Moses, right? Where Moses comes along. And he goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. They're in Egypt. How do they get to Egypt? Well, this is where we have the story of Joseph. And let me encourage you, if you've never read the story of Joseph, read it. Because it's really rather easy to understand. It's really, a lot of the other stories get a little convoluted. Even reading this, you know, David, who kills Goliath and eventually becomes the king. And it takes a while for all this to happen. This changes that. What's great about the story of of Joseph, anybody can grab this. And it's an amazing story of how God brought them, Joseph, to Egypt, how his family gets to Egypt, and that's where they stay for, what, 450 years or whatever. But then, uh, initially, they're greatly favored by the Pharaoh and stuff. Eventually, over time, everything changes, right? Nothing stays the same. They eventually wind up enslaved, and they are the slaves of the Egyptian people until Moses comes along and says, let my people go, and they let them go. Uh, not willingly. <laughs> There's quite a story, all the plagues and, and whatever. So they basically, the Pharaoh says, okay, go, get out of here. You're driving me crazy. I can't handle all these plagues. So they go, and they're out into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. A land promised to who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the Israelites, same thing. But particularly, these are the promises. God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that that land where they were all walking around, they were very nomadic. They they moved all over the place. And basically, God promised, wherever your foot steps, I'm going to give to you. Well, you know, uh, know, it's one of the things about the promises of God. Oftentimes, there's a big delay, right? In this case, it's a massive delay, right? You're going to give me this land? Really? I'm dead. My kid's dead. My grandkids are dead. I mean, it's going to take 450 years later before it finally I get this land for my people. Uh, and the same is true even in, in our own personal lives. A lot of times people will get like God really promised them something. 
And they think that's going to be today. And oftentimes it's not. It can take a long time. I know in my life, I really felt like God wanted me to speak and teach people when I was 16 years old. It didn't happen until I was 45. <laughs> it's a long time in my life to the point where you think, well, that's never going to happen. And you just gave up on it. All of a sudden it happens and you go, oh my gosh, this is what I was feeling and seeing when I was 16 years old. So don't get discouraged when things take a while because things take a while. All right. So anyway, so Moses comes, God gives him the 10 commandments. We all know about the 10 commandments. But the 10 commandments is just the beginning, the opening launch to what is called the law of Moses. As you read through the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, they're always talking about the law, the law. They're not talking about your local police officer. Okay? They're not talking about that kind of law. They're talking about the law of Moses. And it starts with the Ten Commandments, but then there's just a gob of laws and restrictions and how to do this, that, and the other. Uh, you want to have, have a hard time sleeping tonight? Start reading that thing. You know, and you're going to be out in about 15 minutes. It's really long, really detailed. But this is what creates the real strong identity of the Jewish people. They're all living by the law. We're supposed to be living by the law. All right, so they eventually get to the promised land, right? And then uh, uh, you have the time of the judges. If you read about the judges, it's, they're not judges like Judge Judy or something, okay? They're, they're not, you're not going to them and they're, you know, deciding cases per se, although they may have decided some cases uh, as people came to them. But they were just called judges. These are people that God would raise up to guide the people. Uh, because at this point, now God says, okay, just go. Just follow the law. Do what I tell you to do, and you will be blessed. If you don't, I will kick your butt. And as you read, you get to the book of Judges. It's called Judges. And you read, you'll basically see them always messing up and getting their butts kicked. And then they would cry out to God for deliverance, and he would send them what we call a judge. And the judge would straighten things out for them. Some of them are rather dramatic stories. This is where you get Samson. The story of Samson and others. It's just dramatic things that uh, these different men, even a woman who, okay, uh, Deborah uh, was a great judge. And uh, actually, she had commanded a man to go do something, but he was afraid. She said, well, I'll do it. <laughs> and I'll get the credit. And we still talk about Deborah today. So uh, fascinating things about these judges. But it's always God would deliver them Everything would get good, and then they would mess up, and they start disobeying God. He'd kick their butts, and then he'd cry out, and he'd send a judge to deliver, and this goes on over and over and over and over again, all right? Then, finally, we get to the kings. There are three major kings uh, in, the, uh, in Israel, now what they're called Israelites. Um, there was Saul, and there's David. And there's Solomon. These are the first three kings. They are the major players in the history of, of the nation. God didn't want them to have a king. He warned them not to have a king. And they just whined incessantly. You know, like a kid. <laughs> mom, 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 mom. You know, eventually, you know, have you ever had your kid irritate you and you eventually give them what they want even though you don't want them to have it just for your own mind's peace you know this is what God was dealing with 
because they kept crying. Forget was the king. We wanted to be like everybody else. We don't have a king. How can we live without a king? Every nation has a king, but it, Israel doesn't have a king. They, but God wanted it that way. Why? Because who becomes the king? God is their king. And that should have set them apart from all the nations of the world. But they would not relent and kept whining and whining and whining and whining until God said, all right, you're going to have a king. So they get Saul. He's kind of a mess up. He starts out great, but then he goes off the rails. Uh, and God brings along a young man by the name of David. All right, he's the one who kills Goliath. And then uh, goes on to become the next king of Israel. His son Solomon starts out great, has a great heart. God blesses him beyond measure. He's the wisest man who ever lives. Uh, it's called Israel's golden age. You talk about a run on the stock market. I mean, these people were making bank. Israel was so incredibly wealthy during the time of Solomon because he always knew the right thing to do. You know, it'd be like having a, a politician who always knew the right thing to do. <laughs> it's kind of a fantasy, but you know what I'm saying? This actually happened. Always knew. Can you imagine having leaders who always knew the right thing to do? Always made the right decisions. Always made the right... This is what Solomon... David didn't even have that. Saul certainly didn't have it. Although David is the most respected king in their history, even more than Solomon. And when eventually the Messiah comes, they're always referring to him as the son of David. That's why you read in the Gospels. Oh, son of David. Because they knew that he was from the line of David, born in the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. All right? That's where all this stuff comes. That's why it's called Bethlehem. It's called the city of David. You read that at the Christmas time. That's David's hometown. Uh, so, but Solomon, he just goes on a terror and uh, they make out just like Christ. He is paid every year. I forget what his salary was, but he was paid in tons of gold. Tons. <laughs> That's a serious salary. <laughs> you know how much your gold is an ounce, right? Can you imagine tons? They had so much wealth. It was crazy and they prospered like wild. Well, because of one thing or the other, and of course, Solomon goes off the rails. And, you know, one of the things they weren't supposed to do is marry foreign women and stuff. Well, Solomon not only marries, for he does it in quite an impressive style. He winds up with 300 wives and 700 concubines, which are who you go to if your wife has a headache. All right? So, I mean, this, this guy... He's got no complaints. You know what I'm saying? I mean, how you'd even get to a thousand? <laughs> we have to three, three a day and a year before you go around them again. I mean, it's to an excess. And then you can read the book that he writes called um, uh, Ecclesiastes. Thank you. Okay, so he writes Ecclesiastes where he's just depressed as he can be. That's what happens when you have a thousand women. All right. So, I mean, he, 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 said, he, he denies himself nothing. Every gorgeous woman he saw, boom, he took her, which is one of the warnings that God said. He'll take all your pretty girls. He'll take everything. So, and then Solomon just goes off the rails. He's got a thousand of them. And, uh, and he just never said nothing, never said no to himself. And eventually it just sucks the life out of him. So anyway, now during this time, we have the, the kingdom. Everything was brought together under King David. He's the one who united all the tribes. Remember, we have 12 tribes. 
David comes up and he unites the 12 and everything. Solomon maintains it. But then because of sin and some other things, they basically have a, a civil war. And uh, it breaks down in the, unlike our civil war, uh, where eventually one side prevailed, theirs didn't. They wound up with two separate nations. You had the kingdom of Israel. So you'll read this in the news. They're always talking about the kingdom of Israel, kingdom of Israel, and then the kingdom of Judah. It's like, what are they talking about? It's the kingdom of Judah was the southern kingdom, and the kingdom of Israel were everybody else. So the kingdom of Israel is made up of 10 of the 12 tribes. The kingdom of Judah, which actually is what David came from, uh, that tribe, uh, along with Benjamin, which is a little tiny tribe, uh, there to the south. Eventually, Benjamin just gets absorbed into it, and eventually nobody even hears about Benjamin anymore. Uh, It's just the tribe of Judah. So they have these two, and they don't like each other, and they're having issues, and they're two different kingdoms, and blah, 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 blah. So then you get to the book of Kings, and as I told you the last time, that's an incredible story if you read Kings, how they just keep messing up over and over and over and over and over, and God kept warning them over and over and over, uh, and they just wouldn't stop. So eventually, God brings the hammer down. And, and not just because they were struggling like they did in Judges. And they did some bad things during the time of Judges. But I mean, they, they are off the, the rails now. And these are people who uh, uh, should know better. But they completely go against what everything God told them to do. And God kept warning, kept sending these prophets. A lot of these books you'll see of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all these different prophets. When you read it, you can hear sometimes they're ticked off. Because they're warning them. You need to stop. If you don't stop, Isaiah, all these things, judgment is going to come. And they kept describing it in detail. And they, they wouldn't listen to the prophets. They wouldn't listen to them. And they just kept going. So eventually God brings heavy judgment on the two kings. First is the kingdom of Israel. There are 10 tribes. Uh, the army comes in and just wipes them out and drags them off into captivity. And to this day, Nobody knows what happened to them. It's called the Lost Tribes of Israel. You can Google it and see. Uh, Jews to this day refer to the Lost Tribes. There are 10 of them are gone, and they don't know what happens to them, uh, even to this day. Uh, so anyway, um, the remnant of people that were left behind, eventually they referred to them as the Samaritans. Remember Jesus going into Samaria told the story of the good Samaritans. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans, but they would tolerate them to whatever degree because they're basically, you know, cousins of what the remnant of the 10 tribes are. And they don't really like them, uh, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. So that's all you got left is the, uh, the Samaritans. So now here's real, what's really interesting about all this. Look in your Bible. Look at Luke the second chapter. Now, this is the uh, Christmas story, all right? The Christmas account. Luke, uh, second chapter, verse 36. And they're bringing the baby Jesus into the temple. And this old guy, Simeon, sees him and prophesies over him. And then it says in verse 36, there was also a prophetess. Her name was Anna. She was the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Now, this is real interesting, and it kind of takes Bible scholars back a little bit, because Asher is one of the ten tribes. 
that are lost. And they're thinking, well, how did they even know she was from this tribe? It's real interesting. And there's not really a lot of answers out there. It's just obviously for that was an interesting thing. And check this out. Um, well, let me t- read more about it. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after she, her marriage. And then as was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple. Worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment when the baby Jesus was coming, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So these two old prophets, one a man, one a woman. And what's interesting is the one woman is referred to as from the tribe of Asher. And then check this out. This is the book of Revelation. Last book of the Bible, chapter 7. Check this out, check this out. And you're supposed to be bringing your Bibles, right? Yeah, all right. I want you to get a feel for this so you can see what's going on. Uh, chapter 7, and uh, I'm not going to read all of this. But what he's basically talking about, we'll go to verse 4. It says, he's having this vision. He says, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Now, this is interesting, right? This is yet to happen. Uh, God is going to, during this incredible tribulation, when all this crazy is going to happen, which we're not there yet, despite the panics of people who have to wear masks, all right? This is not the great tribulation. The shot is not the mark of the beast or any of this. It's a nasty time coming. I don't know when it's going to come. Personally, I hope I check out of here before all that shows up. But uh, it's coming. Uh, but in the midst of all this incredible turmoil like the world has never seen, I mean, we've seen stuff worse than we're experiencing now. I talked about that Sunday, right? Everything, this is horrible. Really? I can show you throughout history, it was way worse than what we're experiencing today. But when this happens, it will be the worst the world has ever seen. And in the midst of this, God seals and protects 144,000 people, which really is not that big of a number. Uh, It is if they're all coming over to your house, but generally it's, it's not that big of a number. But it says, and then it says this, check this out as you read this. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. Gad, 12,000. Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. 12,000. So now, you know how people like to talk about the end times and what's coming and stuff like that. Uh, One of the things to watch for is at some point, do they find how do they find these tribes? You know, will they come up with something that they find some DNA or something and they're able to start tracing uh, Jewish people to their original? I mean, something's going to happen somewhere. Well, there's actually going to be the lost tribes apparently are lost no more at this point, which is really a fascinating thing when you think about it because even to this day, they have no idea where they are. Uh, and maybe they do something with... Uh, if you see that coming... Look out, the time's getting ready to wrap up, all right? There's several signs when you start seeing stuff, you know. We're seeing beginning signs. I think the end's not too far off. But you get some real specific stuff like this. It's like, wow. So, but now what's really odd about it is the list um, here. Uh, One of the tribes is missing. It's the tribe of Dan, D-A-N. And nobody knows why. All right, there's theories when you study it. Uh, you know, the tribe of, tribe of Dan was really bad when they were in the northern part of Israel and maybe did something so horrible. 
Uh, they were the tribe that when they went into the promised land, they rejected. If you remember, they, one of the tribes said, nah, I don't, we don't want this spot. Give it to somebody else. We're, we want this other spot over here. And they said, okay, we'll let you do that, but you got to still fight with us until they got conquered all the land. Uh, and maybe because at that point, it's considered they gave up on their heritage. I don't know, but Dan is not mentioned. Uh, you have here the tribe of Joseph mentioned. Now, what's odd about that is there really isn't a tribe of Joseph. Never, what never was. And once in a while, they'll mention throughout the Bible. The thing with Joseph is uh, because he, was, he became such an Egyptian. I mean, he was like, you know, walk like an Egyptian. I mean, he was seriously Egyptian, and he was one of the major, he was the most powerful man in Egypt. Nothing the Bible said took place in Egypt without Joseph knowing about it. He was in charge of everything. But he has two sons. The two sons are uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, which is a little town up in Door County, uh, but uh, actually named after him. So they're referred to as the half-tribes. So if you're reading through the Bible and they start talking about tribes on the mention of half-tribes, I'm just like, what are they talking about? What happens is Joseph, the two sons become, make up the one tribe. Um, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. But what's odd here is that Manasseh is mentioned here as their own tribe in verse 6. And then Joseph is mentioned, and we don't see Ephraim mentioned. So I don't know. Who knows? You read all these Bible scholars. No one really quite knows. I suppose you could really get into it. I don't. You know, if you've ever wondered, you know, Pastor, why don't you get into some of these real cool things because I don't want to. It just gives me a headache. And it doesn't do anything. I want to focus on things that make me a better man. You know what I'm saying? I'm not really so caught up in Bible trivia. I know a lot of Bible trivia. But that's, don't get caught up on it. When you see stuff and you don't quite understand it, who cares? Just keep reading. Just keep reading. It, eventually there will be parts of it that will make incredible sense to you. And when you see stuff you don't quite understand, don't let it overwhelm you. Just move on. The more you study this stuff over the years, you'll start learning more and more trivia. And some people really love peeling back little layers to discover what all these things mean and why they are. And at the end, you look at most Bibles or Bible theologians and they don't even know. So anyway, so Israel is wiped out, totally destroyed, the lost tribes. Then you basically have Judah left and Benjamin, but probably just Judah, the kingdom of Judah. Uh, what does it take? 150 years? Again, trivia, it doesn't really matter. But years later, you think they would have learned what happened to Israel, right? Straighten up, Jack, and fly right, because God is not messing around. But they wouldn't listen. And Judah just kept messing up and being stubborn and rebelling against God. And then God sends the hammer to the kingdom of Judah. And they are destroyed. And a small percentage of them is taken into captivity. I mean, it's brutal. It is bloodletting like you can't imagine reading some of the stories. It is as gross as you can. Any, you know, you think Braveheart was gross. I mean, this, this is, this is uh, blood is flowing. They're killing men, women, children. It, it is awful. It is absolutely awful. And judgment comes hard on them. And they basically burn Israel or, or Judah, which is in charge of Jerusalem at this point, because uh, Judah held on to Jerusalem. The northern tribes didn't. Do you remember the, the, uh, the story of the woman at the well? And, and, and she was a Samaritan, remember? And she says to Jesus, you know, our fathers say we should worship here, but you're, you Jews say you should worship in Jerusalem. See, that was part of the, kind of the schism that was there. Uh, so they had Jerusalem. They destroyed Jerusalem. They r- r- 
tear it to the ground, destroy the incredible, beautiful Temple of Solomon. A man that had unlimited, can you imagine what it looked like? If you had all the money in the world to build something to God, what do you think that looks like? I mean, and that's what they did. They built this incredible Temple of Solomon, and now it is raised to the ground, and uh, the golden two uh, things that were in the temple that they used to worship God were taken, and they were all taken into Babylonian captivity. So this is a phrase that you'll see as you're reading through the Bible and reference sometimes about the Babylonian captivity. This is what happens. Israel's wiped out. We don't know what happens to these people. Judah, we still know, God is still focused, particularly at this point, on Judah. Why? Because this is where the Messiah comes through. See, all of this is all about the Messiah, about bringing all this stuff together and fulfilling all the promises. So Judah is not allowed to be wiped out. They take a remnant. I forget how many. It's really not that many. But they're uh, there for like 70 years in Babylonian captivity. And then uh, one of the books of the Bible that describes a lot of it is the book of Daniel. Remember Daniel into the lion's den and the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children, all this stuff. They are all in Babylonian captivity during this time. And then uh, uh, Daniel starts having visions and God basically lays out a timetable of when the Messiah is going to come. It's really fascinating. He times it out. This is why, remember, he's, they're in Babylon. They're in the east, the far east. There are wise men who are studying all these documents. And eventually these wise men look at the timetable, everything he prophesied. And that's why when Christ is born, wise men from the east came looking for him because of what they had read from Daniel. The Jews, even themselves, when the wise men came, when you read the story, say, we're looking for the, uh, the king of the Jews. Where's he supposed to be born? And they said, well, Bethlehem. They knew, but they didn't care. They weren't even paying attention. How do they blow this? This is unbelievable. So that's where these wise men come from, and they knew the time to be looking because of what Daniel had written back in those days. All right? So anyway, and then the final big thing that you'll see is uh, Judah now comes back from captivity. And uh, just you got this book of Nehemiah and Ezra where you can read all those things where they're rebuilding the temple. And then they rebuild Solomon's temple, which is the temple Jesus walked in when he was on the earth. Eventually, it gets raised to the ground by the Romans. It goes down again. Uh, in the final days, talk about a major sign, that temple is going to be rebuilt for the third time. Say, why haven't they done it now? You know what's sitting on it right now? Anybody know? Dome of the Rock, yeah, is a Muslim's holy site, is built right on top of it. And at some point, that sucker's coming down, <laughs> and the temple's going to go up again. Either that, or they're going to find out that the temple, where they think it was, isn't actually the spot. And they're always digging in Israel, always looking for artifacts. Maybe they're off a bit, and the temple's over here, but at some point, they're going to rebuild that thing. Uh, for the third time. Again, you start seeing stuff like that. Dee, 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 dee. I mean, that, now we're getting really close to the end. So anyway, the Jews come back, um, but they're not called Jews. They're Israelites, all right? And they come back and they belong to the tribe of Judah, 
which eventually the Romans referred to as the land of Judea. Remember, we read this in the Christmas story during the time of Herod of Judea because it was originally the kingdom of Judah. So the kingdom of Judah, who lives now in Judea, by the Romans are now called Jews. That's how they transfer from Hebrews to Israelites to Jews. It's the same group. You know, a lot of them are missing at this point, but I mean, that's where it all comes from, and that's why the names change, uh, which can be a little confusing when you're getting all these different names. And, uh, and eventually, so they come back, they start rebuilding the temple um, and uh, get everything straightened out, and now they are not misbehaving. This was such a shock to their culture, this humiliation, this destruction that they endured. And they knew what it was. And they were reading from the prophets and Daniel, everybody else. Now they don't do it. Now, at that point, they have stopped getting sucked into paganism and into worshiping idols. And then there's a period of 400 years. And then a young lady by the name of Mary is, has a vision of an angel uh, who tells her she's going to have a boy and he will save their people from their sins. This is finally the Messiah. He comes, and he's down in a time where there is not rampant paganism. There are with the Romans, but he's in Judea, the land of the Jews, and they're not into all these horrible stuff. They became really super self-righteous and arrogant, and it became problematic in, in many, many ways. And Jesus kept running into the religious pinheads of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and we remember all that, and they eventually have him killed. All that is all part of God's plan, why Jesus was crucified on the cross for the sins of the world. But it's really rather fascinating how these things all uh, drop in. So anyway, hopefully some of these questions uh, just kind of giving you a big snapshot of what happens, particularly in the fat part, <laughs> before we get to the New Testament. And, uh, and all this is around this nation and uh, this is fasc it's fascinating to see what's still yet going to happen. And uh, it's going to be an exciting time. Well, a little terrifying, I think. A little creeped out when some of these things start really coming together. Uh, people talk about, you know, this is the end because there's earthquakes. And they said there'll be lots of earthquakes. Well, that is, there's more than's ever happened. But all these other things still have to happen. That's why it, this isn't going to be over tomorrow. This probably isn't going to be over in the next year. Uh, things could change quickly, though, in a matter of years where all these things start to happen. And then we know that the end will come. All right? So that's my wrap-up of the Old Testament. Boom! Now you know everything I know. <laughs> Let's all stand together. Uh, as you continue to grow in your faith and read your Bible, more of these things will become familiar to you. Uh, to where you're, you're not nearly as confused. But again, when you run into stuff that confuses you, uh, don't let it confuse you. Just keep going on. Uh, for myself, I mean, I study these things. I know the majority of them. I don't get too crazy about some of the trivia. I try to focus on things that will change me. That's why uh, you, you, like the Psalms is powerful. Uh, some of the great promises and, and the miracles that God does in the Old Testament is wonderful, very reassuring. The New Testament, for sure, you want to be reading that. But it teaches us how to walk in righteousness and how to trust God and, and how to be the kind of man or woman that God wants us to be. Focus on that stuff. Uh, don't become just a pinhead. There are people who become Bible pinheads. 
uh, and they just start becoming very arrogant. Paul writes about this, actually. He warns them. He says, uh, knowledge puffs up. Okay? Love builds up. He says, walk in love, because that'll build you up. Knowledge, when you start growing up, you kind of get a little arrogant about things. Well, I, I know a lot about the Bible. I know, where, I know where Dan is. You know, you guys don't know. I figured it out. Who cares? I don't care. It has nothing to do with me. I just know he's not in the final list. So whoever he is, may he rest in peace and all their tribe. So anyway, all right, let's pray. Father, we are thankful that we can gather together to learn more about the kingdom of God and how God has, how you have throughout the centuries put everything together to finally fulfill your promise. Uh, and now that we're walking in this time of grace because of what Jesus did for us. And we're grateful. Bless all these who've listened, both uh, online at uh, our, our campus down in the Fox Valley and all here and a safe trip home. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, that's it. God bless you guys.